Movies by Minutes, project number five. It's Silverado this time. That's no jive. By Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote the show. Let's settle up now, kids, because here we go. Happy Monday, everybody, and howdy, and welcome back to another episode of Silverado Minute Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1985 Lawrence Kasdan-directed Western Silverado. One minute of screen time per episode. I'm Ethan McKinley, your host, well, co-host and co-pilot to uh, this show's Han Solo, Jim O'Kane. He'll be along in a second. And I'm very glad to be here, Jim. We've done uh, Airport Minute. I think we've done The Rocketeer. Am I missing one? Uh, did you do Andromeda Strain? I don't remember. I did. Sure. That was the last yeah. one we did in the, in the middle of the bloody global pandemic, of course. Right. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, Very timely. So, yeah. Very timely. But, uh, <laughs> Ethan, th- thanks for so much for, for being part of the show. It's always a pleasure having you on, uh, getting Jim, a great this view. is one of my favorite things to do in the world. Sorry I interrupted you. There's a bit of a delay, but uh, <laughs> yes, I love, this is a holiday for me. So thank you for having me on. <laughs> Uh, it's 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 wonderful, and uh, we're in a, we're in some really good uh, we're in some really good minutes here. Lots of lots of things setting up, and this not a lot of dialogue, but lots of uh, pretty pictures, a lot of lot of pretty uh, landscapes and stuff, and uh, zooming in on silver belt buckles and things. But uh, yeah, we've got a got a great minute coming up here in uh, minute one oh six, uh, which now. Oh, but I was gonna sorry, Jim. That's just a slight delay, sorry. But uh, yes, where is this uh, shot? Is it shot where they shoot all the westerns? Is it like uh, uh yes. tail rider country and stuff? Or it's yes, New New Mexico. We're out in New Mexico, actually the same okay. place where uh where that unfortunate filming of Rust was done with uh, Alec Baldwin, same same studio area. Um, yeah, okay. But uh yeah, it's out there in the wintertime and uh just gorgeous scenery, real Frederick Remington, Charles Russell uh, Western landscape artist country. <laughs> and, uh, every day every day is a perfect day at you know six thousand feet up um but yeah beautiful beautiful scene there starts with dawn at the mckendrick's ranch and uh finishes up with um uh, uh, kevin klein on a horse riding off the distance <laughs> while that while that epic bruce broughton uh french horn just starts rising in the in the background so just a great just say uh, bruce broughton some composer who's kind of none of remembers or hears about me. He did Bigfoot, Harry and the Henderson, sorry, in America. Bigfoot and the Henderson's in the UK. He did Young Sherlock Holmes. He's fantastic. How yeah. did he not? He's very in the mold of John Williams and should be out there. I mean, Craig, is it Craig Safan is another one? He's the last Starfighter. Yep. Uh, those two composers to me, just like, how come they didn't kind of pop? Well, they did. He's doing a gigantic Hollywood movie and he was in the 80s, but they don't seem to be kind of around doing big things now. And it kind of makes me sad. Yeah, and those two guys were fantastic, especially Bruce Broughton. Yeah, well, and Bruce, uh, why they're not as bigger than they should be. Bruce is still doing a, he most recently, he did the theme to the Orville. If you're watching on Hulu. The, uh, oh, okay. So, so he's he does, doing good. He Sorry, Bruce. I've just smirched yeah, your career. Yeah, he's done, uh, he's done Jag, the, the theme to Jag, lots of drums and snare, very military sound. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we had, uh, when the Indiana Jones boys were on, Earlier this year, uh, episode 37, I think, they had Bruce on to talk about for an hour about how his, <laughs> mostly defending about how it's not Elmer Bernstein. And uh, <laughs> it's just, it's beautiful music. I mean, I could, I, it's very dangerous to have this uh, on, you know, on, on my, uh, if I went on Spotify in the car and I'm driving out in the middle of the uh, West Texas desert, you just want to step on the, step on the gas and take it up uh, into, into light speed. It's just so, ah, <laughs> uh, go, go, go. Um, but uh, yeah, just generally a wordless minute and uh, lots of lots of clumping around on. Uh, I think that's the sound. 
you don't expect to, you don't expect when you're hearing, but all these people are wearing wooden, you know, wooden heeled shoes, the, the boots, the yeah. cowboy boots on uh, wood floors. So there's a lot of column, <laughs> column, column. Um, I guess that's a Foley artist job, right? Yeah, yeah, I would think that there's because some... all sound would be Foley, I'd imagine, correct in a film? Yeah, completely. Somebody, yeah, somebody, somebody have their you know their fists wrapped in coconuts, banging on uh, uh, lumber. Um, What's the kind of weird gate thing with no fence around it? Is that just the way into the town or the city, or the, that marks the the road in? I think yeah, it's just a, it's it's here's it's like the, a door frame. Yeah, it's it's the this is the open the ranch. You know, eventually there would there will be a road in front of it, but it just seems to be that's the ruts of where to head out toward a particular ranch and they've just you right. know marked it that that giant m uh for for mckendrick and mm. uh it's uh and and of course that's that playing into the earlier part of the movie actually the first couple of minutes of the movie where emmett sees a horse that has double diamonds and ethan <laughs> uh, uh, mckendrick had uh had changed his brand he, he flipped the m upside down and made it double diamonds so that he wouldn't be recognized. So it's an interesting that that, that little that little uh, shotgun that was shown back at minute two is, is now turning up here with the McKendrick Ranch. Um, I was going to say, as a movie fan, uh, the big chill. Half the cast of that are in this, I guess, because it's Lawrence Kasdan. So he just kind of transported a lot of the key players from the big chill. Is that nineteen eighty three? I think eighty three. That's and right. Then, so we're yeah. years later here. I mean, I guess that's the connection, isn't it? John Lawrence Kasdan did both, and that's why like Goldblum's in it, and uh, you know, Costner Kevin and, Costner. Yeah, not William Hurt. I think he's in the Big Chill, but not in this, is he? I don't think. No, I think he was. I no. forget what he was doing. Um, Accidental Tourist at the time, I think. I think that's it. At the same time, and that won all the Oscars, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, I, I don't know, it was that great? But it was okay. It was it was an okay movie. So a deaf girl, movie. right? She won the Oscar, I think, or some. Yeah, Mar- she's got Marley some kind Man, of disp- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, is that children uh, of a lesser god? I always get those two confused. But there's a deaf lady in it, or she's blind. I can't remember. Yeah, sorry, yeah, deaf yeah, and blind Mar- people. Yeah, I'm just wondering if this is a. Uh, we see that one scruffy guy marching around on the on the front porch. If uh, those pearl handled revolvers were from uh, the movie Patton, and they just have have them laying around. He's um, very well dressed for the old west. Yeah, yeah. He's apparently uh, life's been pretty good out on the mm. out on the range. Lots of uh, lots of weird accoutrements in uh, you know they're they're in a ranch in the middle of nowhere, but all that stuff mm. uh, the gl- you know the glass windows and things and uh, I mean glass itself was kind of a, a precious commodity back then. Of course, yeah, it's, it's not going to last the week, but um, you know all the how would they have made sheet glass back then? Sorry, uh, sorry, so, oh, I keep cutting you off, Jim. I'm so sorry. No, There's a slight no, no. Day, I believe. No, there would be a, 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 the way that they would make glass back then is they would float glass on molten tin. They would heat heat up tin to a oh. molten one and then just slide it off uh, like a like a large plate, hence plate glass. Oh wow! Yeah, and, and they'd have the facilities to cut the glass without shattering it, or yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, the, you know, I mean the the problem is this is 1980s, not 1880s, so the windows are a little bit too perfect. Um, if, right. If you've ever seen glass from that era, it's kind of uh, a little bit. Wobbly, it gets fat at the bottom, doesn't it? As well, because the, the gravity pulls glass down over time, and it kind of, kind of uh, bows out. You know, right. very infantil, infantil. What do you say? Imperceptibly. Yes. Yes. Give Give it a century or two, and that that's what happens. So. And by if, the way, Jim, as a feather in your cap, if it was any other host or any other person on the planet, I would never ask that question about the glass. But I knew <laughs> you would have the answer because you know bloody everything. <laughs> uh, I I keep. Every time I see this McKendrick fellow, I keep thinking it's Jim Henson. He's got the you know the mustache and the beard going. In and just, <laughs> I, just, I just see him and I keep thinking Kermit. And um, 
but it's uh it's interesting that I mean, I mean, I understand some of this is a little heavy handed. There's a scene where he's kind of like looking at the pictures of the other McKendricks. And of course, uh, his father was his father was killed by um, Emmett, who was in the process of about to be shot by uh, McKendrick's dad. So there's, yeah. a, you know, this is a family tussle going on. And uh, I think this is where, of course, every every villain feels like he's the hero of his own story. So McKendrick <laughs> feels like he's writing some wrong here by uh, getting getting after Emmett. Um, and we have the the victim of the the victim of the moment, little Augie, in his uh, uh you know, in his uh, hostage room, with uh, all kinds of ornate little breakables. Every there's so many breakables in this one scene. I keep looking around, and there's uh you know, <laughs> candlesticks and glass lamps and hurricane lamps and just all kinds of stuff that obviously is going to get shattered to pieces once the, <laughs> once the shooting starts um but, i was gonna uh, say jim for looking back now to the production design and the costumes uh how does it hold up in terms of you know i, I guess for you as a viewer that was seeing it back then and looking back at it now the authenticity of the actual western look or experience of the film do you think it's uh, on point or is it aged badly or I, does it feel 80s to you in a way or no I get the feeling it's it's very much an 80s western i mean it's not right there's nothing it, there's never anything authentic in western films and when you see mm. when you see actual westerns where they try to dress the part and things people didn't wear stetsons all the time the typical thing that they no. would wear would be a bowler so you have these like oliver hardy hats on and if you right. saw people in bowlers in westerns you'd be going well what, what the heck is he doing in that um so it's we've we've become familiar with the western as more of a what the western movie was like that's our history rather than the, the actual yeah. western itself now it feels to me it's got like a slight arch fantasy not really but kind of like 10 percent feel to it because they're all in like kevin klein's jackets like this lush gray jacket and like and stuff even though they're kind of i don't know they look kind of uh yeah they're, they're very yeah. over like they've got car hearts and all kind of, you know it's, it's very it, much yeah it, it, it's a very much upscale the, that's the it like a superhero team but not yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like where do they get the money for all the all these expensive clothes it's very peculiar. like danny glover's duster and yeah. stuff it's all very, but i guess because it's meant they look, all meant to look iconic and it separates the characters doesn't it yeah and, they're and very, very colorful and they seem to like have, something like they, they seem to have uh, frequent laundry service everybody's got clean shirts on and everybody's you know <laughs> I, I would think that laundering is not a common thing out out in the west no um well, it'd be that tin thing, wouldn't it? With with the soap and the uh, so that what's that metal yeah. corrugated thing? Yeah, the, the rub scrub, the clothes scrub, up and down. Yeah, the scrub scrub board. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> plunge um, and scrub. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they need a, a rock and a, <laughs> a rock and a creek somewhere. <laughs> I think of uh, uh, in Back to the Future Two, where they're like they're pouring water at dinner table, and, and or uh, Back to the Future <laughs> Three when they're in the past and it's brown like, water. Yeah, it's, just, it's like you, you probably don't want to wash your shirt because it'll get dirtier than if you had not That's washed it. it. And the, and the grouse has like uh, shotgun black pellets in it or salt, salt pellets. <laughs> He's spitting them out, isn't he? Now, um, Ethan, you grew up uh, on the right on the prime meridian. So, uh, what uh, westerns in Britain? How are they? Are they popular? Are they? I mean, I would think that this is a typical. I'd like imagine the, so. The, well, the, because I think uh, the a certain corridor in time, particularly in I guess American film history, there was nothing but westerns. I mean, they do say now. That like the superhero movie has replaced that in a sense. You've had like the last 15, 20 years of like war to war superhero films. Uh, but like for the 60s and 70s and into the 80s, uh, it was all Western. So, I mean, a lot of my favorite films, the Spaghetti Trilogy, 
uh, Outlaw Josie Wales, uh, Pale Rider, things like that. So, yeah, I think very much so. Everyone I know knows Westerns. If you kind of quote a random, you know, Western, people know what it is. Or I don't know. I think they were so part of the cultural fabric of especially the Western cinema world. I think everyone kind of knows them. So I know them inside out and backwards pretty much. Yeah, I'd say so. Before you travel to America, is this how you pictured them? I mean, I would, I would imagine like gangster movies and oh, yeah. um, and westerns <laughs> were the two ways that you you pictured either there were, you know, shootouts on this, you know, there, there were massive car chases <laughs> or there were uh, gunfights at the in the middle of the dirt road. Yes. Um, Which I it, guess if you went to certain parts of America, it would be the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I just was wondering, you know, like when you saw, like if you, which the, fun, the funny thing is with spaghetti westerns, they're mostly filmed in Spain and Italy. So it's just exactly, like, exactly. Um, but I, I would imagine <laughs> on your first trip to America, and I know you, 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 know, you lived in the West, it, it must have been kind of a weird deja vu or just some kind of a weird twist. If, uh, you know, oh, yeah. Well, actually, West. you know what? Weirdly, because the first place I went to where I stayed with my dad was in Detroit. So I was my I was I kind of my impression was kind of uh, tempered by Robocop, <laughs> <laughs> which I guess is a form of Western in a sense, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's, so. it's Pale Rider. A guy dies. He comes back. Is he alive? Is he dead? He, he's trying to get his humanity back in some sense. And he goes and takes it out the bad guys. Yeah. Dead or that's, alive, that's you're coming you, with me. You, so. Yeah. That's your kind of classic Western archetype in a sense. So in some ways, yes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just I'm, I'm always in, intrigued at how American culture has kind of become global culture. Like this is how this is how you picture things and this is how, you know, how things are done out there. And although this to me, the, you know, if you watch, um, you know, if you watch Japanese movies, this is more like the Japanese movies. Of, oh, yeah. You know, the, the Cow and stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, but it's. Well, I think they remade Seven Samurai into the Magnificent Seven, didn't they? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I think Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis is a remake of something else. Is a remake of something else, but it's escaping me now. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's um. Where the guy goes into town, he plays the two sides against the middle and walks away with all the money, kind of thing. Yeah. It, Last, it, yeah. Lots of leverage on both sides. It's. Um, That's it. That's a Kurosawa kind of remake slash something as well. I think, but I can't remember what it's the pastiche of or the remake of. Yeah, last man standing with Bruce Willis. It's it's intriguing how um, how much like we've come to like we know the tropes so well that when you're looking at this and you're seeing, you know, you're seeing all these all this breakable crockery and stuff, <laughs> you know, something terrible <laughs> is about to happen. And they're just it, it's it's like setting up the chessboard and you're like, oh, okay, these are all you know <laughs> these pawns. Yeah, will the be all the, the, the omen of foreboding doom or impending doom. Yeah, yeah. If you're a fan of China plates, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just uh, it's it's and uh, it's so many things that are just it doesn't make any sense when you look at it when when you're looking at the like the set design. You're out in the middle of nowhere, and they've got mm. this ranch house with all this little, you know, these little bourgeois touches, the the marble fireplace and things like that. But it's it's like McKendrick is going to be impressing who with this stuff. He's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> But and would that have been a thing in because you mentioned kind of the West wouldn't have been like that to have bowler hats and things and et cetera, et cetera, and be more practically dressed, I guess, or less glamorously. Would you get things like those kind of European, I guess, fancy touches in a kind of poncy office of someone or saloon bar right. or not? I think it would it would have come it would have come much later. When I'm right. when I'm looking at when I think of fancy like like rich people besides ranchers, which who weren't who weren't that rich back at the time, I would think Ooh. of people like James J. Hill who founded the Northern Pacific. He built a he built a place for his girlfriend called Mary Hill, and uh, uh, actually built it for his wife, but his his mistress moved into 
into the house and then his wife died. Um, but uh, he built it on the banks of the Columbia River in Washington uh, right. state. And uh, it's this, this enormous palace, kind of a, a Xanadu, Charles Foster Kane kind of a thing <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's like up against the river, but there was just nothing, there's nothing around for miles. And uh, you can, it, it's, it's turned into a museum now, but it's just one of those mm. palatial estates like the Biltmore in Asheville, North Carolina. What year was that built, did you say? I would say sometime around 1890s or so. This is we're, we're right. here is more like 1870s. I think this is post Civil right. War, but obviously there aren't. Any, I mean, this is this is weird Western in that there are no railroads. There's no trains around. So right. I would say early 1870s in the Southwest before. Like, is it the in, Union Pacific Railway that was being built, or that been built already by then? There would have the Union Pacific would have been built and finished by 1869. So we're looking at I think we're looking at the South Southwest, like the uh, you know New Mexico, Arizona, uh, Southern right. Colorado, and that would have been uh, done by. Well, there are two competing railroads. One was the Southern Pacific. The other one was the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad. Uh, right. In in the South, then in the North, the Northern Pacific, which went up along. Uh, through Idaho and uh, uh, Oregon and Washington State. That's James Hill's northern, uh, what they call um, the empire. He was known as the empire builder. He built this gigantic northwest for like logging and stuff like that. Um, but he, it's, it's like this is, this is all out far away from that railroad stuff. So right. it doesn't really make sense that he would have all these fancy things. I mean, a fancy thing for him might be he might have imported an organ or a piano, but I would still think that the, the the amount of things that he had there, he wouldn't have, like he wouldn't have been going, his like his family wouldn't have been going on trips to Europe to bring the, the halls back from you know the, the Garibaldis and the people that were trying to sell off most of Italy. Um, that wouldn't come until later, the 1890s, the 1910s, and things. It, it, it's amazing with the overlap, the overlap between railroads and um, that robber baron idea. Um, mm. I was just in uh, I was just in Florida, and there was a fellow named Henry Flagler, who built the uh, Florida East Coast Railway that went around. It, it went from uh, uh, Jacksonville in the north of Florida down to the Florida Keys, and actually out went went island hopping between the Florida Keys. Right. And uh, he made a fortune building this thing. Um, if you go to Palm Beach, there, um, he he has this enormous mansion, and he had all kinds of <laughs> brought back from you know cathedrals in France and stuff, and. Is he like um, the classic evil land developer in like a Steven Seagal film or a Western? Yeah, literally? yeah, yeah. He would be the, he would be the guy, and it's just, it's just amazing. And like he had these, he had wallpaper made out of aluminum or aluminium, and um, at the time, Thank you. <laughs> did at, the English version. Yeah, at, at, at the at the time, it was very difficult to get that metal um, smelted or whatever they do with with that with the metal. But he managed to get it like as a paste, as a paste or a paint. That he could get into, you know, made as part of the wallpaper, and it was considered mm. a big deal at the time because the the process for for rendering it had not, you know, it, it was never made cheap. So that was uh, mm. it's interesting interesting to see. But yeah, nice. I, I I don't know if ranchers would have made that much money at the time. I mean, they would have been they would have been well off in the neighborhood, but I can't imagine them spending like like to build this kind of thing out in the middle of nowhere. For one mm. thing, they're, they're pretty far away from a lot of trees. So it's kind of hard to get all that lumber out, you know, out there and uh, and get stuff, especially if you don't have a railroad nearby. So I don't, you know, all this stuff would have been carted in on a Conestoga wagon. Um, so, but again, it's not it's not the real West. If this is this is a real Western, not a real West. Not, not you know. So I was going to say, you asked me the question about how Brits probably view America as the pretext of being kind of primed. All these. Oh, sorry, rattle. Ignore that. 
uh, primed with all these, uh, you know, images of their own, not just well, American culture, you're in the middle of it. I mean, uh, what was, oh God, what was I going to say? These, uh, I've lost my thread of thought now. What was I going to say? Are you saying a British person watching a Western movie? In yeah, how American... do you guys view uh, Westerns? As Americans, how do you like view the Western as you're it's, actually there? Yeah, it, it, it's... Um... <laughs> what are the better ones and what are the worst ones for you? I, I Someone like... says Un Unforgiven is the ultimate Western, but I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I prefer know. the 70s Clint Eastwood ones, but I guess they're yeah, fantasy I, as well, in a sense. I think, and like you were saying, the spaghetti Westerns seem to seem to boil everything down to the basics you know good versus mm. evil you know there are only two kinds of men senior when the those that come in through the door and those that come in through the window that you know that that yeah. seems to be the ultimate line one of my favorite ones um was it made by an atypical uh director or a director i would say di laurentis's uh, 1976 film the shootist with uh, john okay. wayne john wayne's yeah, yeah. final film it, it kind of wrapped up the western because it was shot it was 19 it was set in 1900 it was it started the day queen victoria died and right. uh at, at, and the storyline basically is who that, shot her yeah that's a good question <laughs> <That's> <laughs> she, a Western somebody question. somebody got the drop somebody got the drop on her you know uh she gets so tired of people asking if you know they had prince albert in the can um so uh but it was it was uh, queen victoria died and john wayne finds out he's got a terminal cancer can't be helped he's going to die a horrible death and uh so he's now is this a real life sorry or in the western no no it's in the western he's they could diagnose cancer in the old western times oh they know they've <laughs> well, known, the old yeah, yeah they've okay known, been on cancer for hundreds of years and so it oh was, wow it was um you know here here he is he's talked to his doctor who's played by jimmy stewart and you know it's <laughs> these two old classic western guys i mean there's destry rides again versus yeah. uh you know true grit and uh there's all these old Western actors showing up. Richard Boone is in it. Jack Elam is in it, and um, uh, John Carradine's in it. And so it's you know it's, it's like all these classic people. And this is even the send off, I guess, in a sense. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. a real. You you feel like it's the end of an it it is an end of an era because the West is over. You're seeing and Lauren Bacall plays his his love interest in the thing, and you're seeing mm. like things like horseless carriages and stuff, and they're starting to pave the streets. So the West that John Wayne grew up with. He, yeah. he was known as a he was known as a sharpshooter and everybody wanted to you know draw against him kind of like Cleavon Little in uh, Blazing Saddles everybody wanted to draw against him and uh he finally wanted to help out with uh, Lauren Bacall's family she's a widower her son is uh Ron Howard and um, <laughs> she you know he's got to he's got to clean up the town one last time that's and happy he, days here at Ron Howard as well I, yeah. I assume yeah yeah yeah, yeah same time 1976 so it was right in the midst yeah, of yeah. But it's um, a great film. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But it's just a it, it really it was John Wayne's last film and his last Western, which is a nice overlay. And it was a good mm. send off for uh, for the Duke. Um, but I, uh, I think that's my favorite Western, whether it's the best Western. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but in terms of authenticity as well with the look of it, I mean, would you say it's uh, or is it still kind of married to this ten gallon hats? Uh, everyone walks around. Yeah, with it's it's more like it's like his days are over, and I think that at the time, right. you know, in the mid seventies, there really weren't American made westerns. I mean, they'd all been moved to uh, Cine, was it Cinecitta? Uh, you know, the the you know the Italian the the Italian spaghetti westerns of you know yes. Spain. So, so that that style, you know, the western was offshored. Um, but mm. this, as an American film, I think it was a it was a it was a closing of a of a certain era in the Western. And here, 
you know, Kazdan's bringing it back after a, mm. a 10 year slumber. Um, well, I think what's is it Power Riders 83? So I think Clint snuck in there with a couple as well. He kind yeah. of inched his way back in. <laughs> Did yeah. John Wayne and Clint Eastwood get on? Or were they friends or were they rivals? Or uh, I'd imagine I John Wayne was quite, uh, you know, different, yeah, different era, territorial. Different, okay. Yeah, different era, I think. He was, it was more of a, I mean, John Wayne. John Wayne was very, he was interested in exploring all facets of the Western. I mean, if you see something like, I mean, speaking of classics, look at something like The Searchers. He was yes. very, he was very adamant Nathan, about making Nathan, what's his name? What's his name in that? Nathan something? Is it? Uh, uh, oh, no, Ethan something. Is it Ethan yeah. in The Search is his name? I've forgotten the blue name. Uh, My name's I, sake. I can't. It's, uh, but yeah, <laughs> he, you know, he's in there with uh, Jeffrey Hunter. And yeah. um, it's, it's about, I mean, it, it's about the West. But it's also about racism, and it's about he's 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 handling all these issues, and it's like this doesn't sound like a John Wayne movie, but he no. handles he handles all these issues. It's not being, um, you know, for a lot of hitting you in the head with it. Yeah, yeah, he's not. Yeah, he's not. He's not pushing. Like they're doing films now. (laughs) Yeah, but it's it's not. It's like it's it's presented to you, and you're like, hmm, that's an interesting way of looking. And there's a lot of homages in this film to the Searchers. I mean, that opening scene where. Um, Scott Glenn walks out the door and you suddenly get this panorama of, uh, yeah. of the West and it says Silverado. That's pretty much the same way that um, the Searchers opens when you, you step out a door and, and look out and you just see this massive panorama. Um, right. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just interesting. The pacing, I think, is about... I, I can't imagine a movie being paced this slowly. This, is, this has the pacing of a, of a classic Western and yeah. at this time, you know, there hasn't been an explosion or laser shootings, you know, any, any in the past five seconds. So people, <laughs> I, I don't think, I, I don't think the attention span would be. We had ice pirates for that. Is that 1985? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, um, it's a, it was a different era and a different, you know, everybody's got 80s hair. So it's, yeah. it's not, not authentic, but it doesn't have to be. Was it well received? Because, I mean, it's Lawrence Kasdan. He was the golden boy at the time. He did the big chill. He did Empire Strikes Back. Uh, uh, was it Raiders of the Lost Ark? So he was kind of a, yeah, you know, I a, guess, it had a decent talented return. and popular guy. Yeah, It had a decent return. It also had a massive second life on the VHS and DVD market. I think this is one well, of the Well, that's how I remember it, really. Um, yeah. yeah, video yeah. sleeves on the thing um, in the in the video store, and it had like a, a long life afterwards. What yeah. was the box office initially? Do you know that off the top of your head? Not not at the moment. No, no but it's I, I, was I, it a hit basically or no? It was it was a, it was a moderate hit. It was good. It, it didn't you know it, it it cleared itself and it 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 it, had, it acquitted itself nicely. I don't I don't think it was blockbuster, but right. it did do it did do well for. Uh, uh, for well, I think people too much own us on block unless they think someone does a billion dollars. I think it's like a failure, but I think. In the climate of films now, and think I think they're going to go back to these sixty million films that they make a respectable two hundred million back if they're lucky, or hundred million. Yeah. I think they're spending so much on films now. I think Thor, is it Love and Thunder, which is out last month, that's like cost three hundred million. Yeah, and it's dropped off as we're recording this. It's yeah, the second week it's dropped off sixty percent. So it's like, uh oh. But I think back then when you say respectable, I think that's uh, you know perhaps films will maybe return to that now. It's just kind of a smaller budget, more character driven. Not crazy special effects. Yeah, and like it's that. not. And you know, again, this is a, a movie without a franchise, and I think that's, yeah. that's the biggest problem is that we don't have. Like, you have to be part of a franchise, or it's never going to work. They're never going to spend that kind of. You're not going to put two hundred million dollars in a movie that isn't part of a franchise. So, Do you know what it was up against at the time, by any chance? I mean, Back to the Future's uh, began in '85, and I'm trying to think of other like. Yeah, it had a it had a couple. Uh, let's see. <laughs> 
I had talked about this weeks ago and I can't remember what it was. But yeah, the it, first time we've stumped Jim O'Kane on a podcast, <laughs> we've made history. <laughs> I'll try and find some. Yeah, it it had some. Yeah, I mean, and, and that later that summer would be uh would be Back to the Future and all those other major yeah. you know things. But it it did it for the time for the time period that it was released. It, it held up very well and it didn't really have much competition in terms of um, mass appeal. I think this was. I think there were a lot of uh, small films that were out against it. So. It, it had a it, partially it was a competition but you know, mostly it was the quality of the film i think it was a great story and you could recommend it to people and they would I, you don't feel like uh you'll have to like it you'll like it except for this part and it's like no this is pretty much a, yeah. a movie that you can you can dwell on and think about um well, it's but, columbia at uh, the studio i think isn't it so it's, uh, that right, was and, fright night came out i've just yeah. found out for you listeners uh, 32 million domestic and i'm oh, sorry international complete 32 point 192 million ish nearly 33 million so it's pretty yeah. good for them i think 40 yeah, years ago yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah i don't think they turned it down and, if it um, costs 10 or 15 yeah it's good yeah i mean it's at the end of this i'm skipping ahead to the end that kevin costner's line about we'll be back i i guess they were hoping on a series of sequels but that never that never materialized but uh mm. for, for itself as a standalone film i think it's you know perfectly adequate and uh you know here yeah. we are and this this particular minute that we're in it's just mostly setting up what's coming what's coming for the next the next five minutes and we're just getting ready for the big third act <laughs> third act fight um why don't we pause here for uh, a little bit and uh, we can yes, come, back, come back tomorrow and chat with us but every everything's in place everything's getting ready you can hear the uh you can hear the orchestra tuning up <laughs> as, uh, as uh, Kevin Klein is heading for somewhere, um, Ethan, when people want to listen to you um, uh, pontificate and and uh, oh. leave bon mots, and uh, where uh, where can they listen? To you? Uh, I've got a channel on YouTube called Ethan McKinley's Questionable. Uh, uh, my surname is M C K I N L E Y. Ethan McKinley's Questionable. On Instagram, it's Ethan underscore McKinley. I guess if you're that interested, uh, and that's it so far. I think. There we go. And people can. I'd just like to say, Jim, before you. I'm sorry. I keep cutting you off. I'm so sorry. I'm so excited. I'm having such a great time, Jim. It's so good to be back. I really mean that. It's It's always uh, fun. I learned something more than than something. I've actually stumped you on this show as well. So we've made history. I'm (laughs) over the moon and roll on the next one. I can't wait. Mark the date, and, <laughs> and I know I know that um, people can people can enjoy your uh, your acting abilities. I've seen you on uh, Amazon Prime in. Uh, in oh yes, yeah. so, oh look at him plug for Jim. Yeah, there's a, a horror series called Dark Ditties. We we're supposed to shoot some more last year, but COVID shut it down. I need to actually message Gary Smart, the writer and the director, and go, "What's going on? What about <laughs> the other three we had to make?" There was going to be a pastiche of Fright Night with a sexy next door neighbor was a vampire or something like that. And I was going to, I was going to be the neighbor. Each ah. story is a bit different, you see. But uh, we'll return, return to the screens of Amazon Prime soon, I hope. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, good. yeah, look for Ethan on, on Amazon Prime. I can strongly recommend, recommend his series. Um, but anyway, we will return tomorrow. So uh, uh, check us out. You know where to find us out there on uh, online, wherever you found this uh, particular episode, we're probably out there. Uh, so just keep clicking away on that subscribe and, you know, like, or whatever you're supposed to do on, on the, whatever particular podcast you're listening to Spotify, Apple uh, podcasts or Google play or any of the other uh, tune in. I think we're out, we're out there. Just subscribe and listen to this. If you get a chance to on Apple podcasts, one of the big things that pushes us, pushes people our way is if you give us a good review. So five stars would be great. a nice six, review. Yes. Yeah, six stars if they, if they let you, but I think they only let you have five, but yeah, if you go in and write a couple of words about how much you love it, especially those week, that week with Ethan was amazing, wasn't it? So yeah, go in there and, and mark that out. So that, that would help. That would help a lot. 
Um, anyway, you can if, if you want to talk back to us too, we're also available at the Midnight Star. That's the uh, uh, Silverado Minute uh, Listeners Lounge or Listeners Saloon uh, on Facebook. Uh, you can reach to us at on Twitter at uh, Silverado MXM MXN, standing for Movies by Minutes, of which Ethan and I are both a part of the movie by, Movies by Minutes movie. Oh yes, uh, I forgot. I'm Two Minute Terminator, aren't I? All those many and, moons ago. That's exactly. six years ago. Yeah, one of the first out of the gate with the two-minute terminator. That's only on uh, YouTube now, listeners. If you want to, you listen to me waffle (laughs) about (laughs) the Terminator films. I I broke them all though. I bent the rules. It was two minutes at a time. So there we go. Yeah, one minute. But I did all five films up until Dark Fate. So we we ran through them. I'm not saying the quality is any good, and we stayed on the subject. But the, was, the show it, exists nonetheless. It was epic. It was epic. <laughs> one, one minute can't simply contain you. Ethan. That's the way it is. You had to go two. I mean, no show can. My God, come on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We'll come back tomorrow as we watch uh, uh, Crockery getting ready to be broken and, and all kinds of uh, friends being remade again. So we'll, uh, join us here tomorrow. And until Metaphor next Metaphor for this very show, I'd say. Sorry, cut you off again. Right. Keep ruining oh. the show. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're doing great, Ethan. Wow. Well, anyway, come back and see us tomorrow. But in the meantime, yee! Ha! Woo-ha!